we're into what week two are we into week two of the new year it feels like we've been back forever it doesn't feel like we've had much of a break now what i wanted to start with today folks if it's okay is over my socials more more TikTok really than anything else. I've been asked a lot of questions this week. I get asked probably about 50 questions a day just on TikTok. And the biggest one that comes out is repairs policy. Now I get a lot of questions from tenants as well, which is absolutely fine. I don't mind that because we're promoting best practice. But I wanted just to put it to the panel about what is your repair policy and how do you make it clear to your tenant that they understand it? Now, it's been driven because we got called out on Christmas Day this year. Now, um, it was quite an emergency, so we did turn out. And I was sort of putting it out there to say, you know, how many people actually realise the work level involved from private landlords and private investors to the point where we're getting called out on Christmas Day and we are responding. And then I got like a plethora of, of loads of questions coming back saying, you know, what is your repairs policy? What's the law, et cetera. So I want to put it around the room. So we're going to start with Sam and then we go to Toyin, Roxanne, Scott, Andrew, Mark. I'm not sure if you've got any properties yourself and then Dave. And I'm going to say, look, you know, what is your repair policy and how do you make it clear to your tenant on what the boundaries are? Sam. Brilliant. Well, thanks very much. So, um, I, you know, again, I'm going to have to give a big shout out to Nic uh, Nicole, who's in the audience, Nicole Barrett, who um, she gives us a hand. We work together and um, she deals with a lot of our, well, all of our tenant management. Um, it's a fantastic service. So we don't, if I'm honest, see an awful lot of it. But that being said, the, the general rule of thumb for us across the board, and, and when, whilst we were completely, you know, doing everything ourselves, has been dividing um, and educating tenants on what is an urgent repair. And by urgent, I mean a, a genuinely urgent repair uh, versus what is a non-essential repair um, and having service levels that match that. So, you know, we've got one particular property at the moment. We have a, um, it's a HMO, it's a bit of a pain. Um, we have a, it's losing its pressure basically on the boiler. Um, there's a pinhole leak. We've got somebody booked in to come round to it um, and to do a bit more of a thorough investigation um, and to run a few different products through the boiler to see if we can resolve the issue. But obviously when the boiler loses pressure, they lose their heat. Um, and it, the pressure just needs to be topped up um, as an interim solution for the next couple of days until we get it resolved like, permanently. Um, something like that. If you've lost your heat, your hot water, anything like that, we do the same day um, because it just feels it feels right and appropriate. But then by contrast, um, I'm trying to think of a good example of something that's been less urgent, um, a, you know, kitchen door handle breaking. Um, and it gets reported as urgent because it's that person's kitchen cupboard and they think it's they, they feel it's really important to them so it's, it is about saying okay we've, I, I think it's about communication and we often do um you know come back to them and say at day one okay great this is going to be dealt with on such and such day as it's you know it's not urgent and try to offer a bit of education okay. pull up actually which would be fantastic so I, i'm going to very cheaply pass the buck <laughs> a little bit um, and we've recently just taken on a maintenance guy, which made a huge difference. So I, let me throw this to Nicole. I know I'm going a little bit out of order here, but I can't properly answer this question. So let me pass it over. Nicole? Morning. Morning, everybody. Um, I, I think just being present on sort of, you know, regularly in the properties and just talking to tenants um, and um you know educating them that way just through general chat really it doesn't have to be like a teacher pupil type conversation um 
we mitigate a lot of the problems by doing monthly communal area inspections. Um, and if there's a lot to do, we'll take a handyman with us for the day um, and just fix anything there and then. Um, we've got, we do have WhatsApp group chats. I manage about 30. Um, it is getting a bit ridiculous, but when they report stuff through the WhatsApp group chats, if it's not urgent, I've started saying, can you please email our um, maintenance email address? Um, if it's urgent, um, you know, water leak, that sort of thing, then we'll do, we deal with it and re respond straight away. And that does seem to now, after sort of six months to a year, that is now sort of, you know, um, reaching home to, to a lot of the tenants. I mean, I had a tenant once, you got called out Christmas Day, I got called at eight o'clock on Christmas Eve to tell me that the ceiling was leaking and it was actually a mega flow um, valve had gone. Um, and the guy had put a bucket there, it's HMO, um, and um, it had been leaking since 11 o'clock that morning. Um, <laughs> And he decided to tell it's me always the leaks, night. Nicole, isn't it? Always, <laughs> always the always, leaks. It's always yeah. the stuff that you've got to go and sort quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And when they say it's a leak, you know, I mean, fortunately for us, it was actually an ingress of water from the rain because didn't we have some rain on Christmas Eve? Um, but they said it's just pouring from the ceiling. And of course, in the flat, you've got to go and investigate yeah. it. Yeah. I think between you and Sam, and I'm going to go around the room in a minute, is you've got a great policy. We've got something similar. But we've got to get this message out there of best practice to those landlords that physically don't care. They don't want to do maintenance. You know, they are just in it for the money. They're not interested in looking after their tenants. And I know, and I could, I could sort of recite probably 15 messages I've had in the last 24 hours from tenants saying to me, what can I do? if my landlord does not fix X, Y, and Z. And it seems to be a huge problem. So how do we get this message out, Nicole? How do we get this best practice out to the masses? I think just uh, social media is a, big, is a big thing. I think Facebook, you know, obviously videos, um, just generally chatted. But, but if, if a landlord doesn't want to spend money, they won't spend money. Um, I actually sacked a landlord, and I, and I can say that. I sacked a landlord very big in my area, um, do lots of networking events, claiming to be HMO experts in my area. But deep down, they would not spend a penny on it, on maintenance. And I mean, yeah. like they would question the, the price of a light bulb. Yeah. I can't work like that. I can't work no. like that. If, you're, I think one if of... you want high prices for your rooms, sort of over 650, then you've got to compete with the next new HMO. And then then there's another new HMO that you've got to compete with. And mm. if you don't reinvest, me and Sam were talking about this the other night, the only way your rents are going is down. Yeah, absolutely. One of the big problems I see with this, I don't want the board to, I'm going to go around everybody, so we're all going to get a chance to say what our, our maintenance policies are. But one of the biggest issues I do believe is a problem is the fact that private landlords don't need to be a member of any redress scheme. Now, if you're looking after and managing your own properties, then that's the case. You don't need to be by law. Now, it's, it's nice to have. It's best practice, but they don't need it. So therefore, the tenant doesn't have that redress as it would be if it was with an agent. So, of course, if there's any, um, any tenants in the audience that are listening to this or any tenants on the podcast, the, the best bit of advice that I could give you is, first of all, 
it's always down to communication. So always try and communicate with your landlord first. Always put your request in writing if it's not being dealt with in a manner that you would like it to be dealt with. And if it's an emergency repair, so things that will affect your welfare, things like black mold, damp, electrics that aren't working, security of the property, heating, boilers, and those types of things, then they do need to be fixed relatively quickly. And if they're still not being fixed, then I suggest that you then go to the local council and go to the council housing team and see if they can help you start to mediate. Now, the good thing is that with agents, they do have to be a member of a redress scheme. So that would be the property ombudsman or the property redress scheme, and they then can facilitate a mediation process. So if your agent isn't looking after you and you are a tenant, then you can call them if you've gone through the whole communication line first and see if they can mediate for you. So that's just a little bit of a tip there for people that are listening, that are going through this. Toyin, good morning. Happy New Year, if it's even okay to say that now because we're in January. Good what morning, happy your New policy, Year. And to you, what are your policies? I think we, we always sort of look at the any structural, mechanical, electrical, or water um, ingress, which is our leaks. We, we sort of standard, um, we'll, 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 we'll take a look at that and we'll just sort that out. Um, and things that are more physical, like you'd have um, 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 blocked sinks and the rest of that, we, we usually would notify them that we will have someone sent down. However, if it's been um, noted that it is, um, um, it's down to um, lack of care, or, or then, then they'll be paying for that. And usually that will do the trick. You get a few times when the tenant to say don't worry we'll sort that out or because they know that if if we send someone it may be slightly more expensive for them but i think what we take the approach of being proactive and making sure that the tenants are aware that this is their home and they're responsible for just trying to make sure they look look after the property because what i found is a lot of times you find that um people just there's just a dependency um culture where you just feel like anything just because you're paying their rent especially when you have like single occupancy um not single occupancy sorry um single in terms of not 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 the hmos that there is that um, um dependency or i'm paying my rent so just sort everything out i i, I will understand a bit more when it's hmos because obviously your your bills are inclusive and your your is a communal um um living but when it's just your home there's certain things i just feel like you should get on with i've been a tenant before and i know that i just didn't wait for my my landlord to repair every single thing there are some things that i don't expect you to repair and and, and like i said the mechanical electrical and, and structural things um leaks i, I just think there's there's really no way but down to the um, tenants in most cases so i in those cases i expect that the landlord will be there to sort of show up thank you Toyin. some great input there thank you so much nice to have you back by the way andrew good morning sir happy new year to you as well nice to have you up on the stage long time no see what's your policy is it any different Hi, good morning, Rick. Good morning, everybody. Um, it, it's a good one, this. Uh, I mean, I have quite a detailed uh, policy and category of repair, I guess, over the years when I've um, worked for uh, uh, developers and stuff, you sort of get best practice. So I think I'm proud to be, I think, ahead of the curve on this. Um, before I go into that, a key point is, before I forget, about the communication, Rick. If we put ourselves in the tenant position, I've had this in the past, going back a few years, sometimes they're scared to raise a repair, particularly in HMOs, because they think they're going to get blamed for it. Um, so you have to tackle this communication barrier. Now, 
for me, it's about safeguarding my asset. So what I do at tenancy stage is encourage them, actively encourage them, not to be mischievous with it. But here's the policy. Everything's on, on online, basically. So just because it's online, don't think it gets acted upon for the emergency stuff on the notice board, fire alarm repairs, or uh, the call outs, um, M&E stuff. The numbers are on there. So they, they, they don't even have to report it. So if you have the fire alarm issue, there's clearly a reason for that. You call this number, there will be a charge, but I'm not looking for, to, to blame that on anybody. It, it really is, it, it's for safety. Um, but uh, if, if, if it does track to somebody smoking in the room, then action will be taken, right? So there's the communication thing, because to me, it's a pos positive thing to encourage to identify as part of just good look head maintenance. So the policy is they can register via the system, the software we use, um, look ahead if they see a potential problem, if they think the washing machine's making a funny noise, if if they see something coming loose, a radiator in the bathroom or whatever it is, and I'll categorise that so it pops up on my on, on my um, on my phone, uh, and it can either be a priority. So, for example, if there's water, no hot water, if there's some, something that looks dangerous, uh, they're getting a shock or something off a wire. Not that that happens, but. You know, the important stuff, the, the, the basic necessities, that gets attended to, you know, immediate. well, I'll say immediately, within within that day. Uh, but there's a lot of stuff, which which most of it is looking ahead where they maybe can see problems. And you categorise that, and it's all logged, and it's all documented in a similar way to any antisocial behaviour. And that way, it can get managed by anybody within my growing team. Um, it's all in one place. It's not on messages on phones and anything like this. But the policy is quite documented. So, And that's part of the AST. So similar to when you, you, you do your sign-in list and you've got your, your basic statutory stuff, your electrical reports, your EPC and all of this stuff. Um, our policies are things we go through. We go through the anti-discrimination and, and that type of stuff mm -hmm. and the house rules. And part of those house rules is the policy on repairs because we want to encourage them that no one's going to get blamed for this we actually yeah. we're all about look ahead so it's getting well, when, it, yeah. when, when you offer an all-inclusive contract then you know it doesn't we don't we don't push the blame out there anyway because we pay for everything all of the stuff that goes wrong it's all included in the contract and i think when we're talking andrew about pushing best practice and really trying to get the message out there i'm i'm all for you know, trying to tell other people to do things differently. And if you don't have that communication that you just mentioned, that's where it all falls down. And you're right, there are tenants that are so afraid of reporting maintenance in the fear of being evicted. And we're in this massive rental bubble right now. And the, the rooms are hard to get at the moment and tenants don't want to put their neck above the parapet. And that's got to stop. Yes, now, what absolutely. we do is we operate a traffic light system, very similar to everybody else, but it's a really easy to follow system. So we've got a red, we've got an amber, and we've got a green. So green are the things like light bulbs. If it's not going to cause them any harm, if you know it's not in an area like the landing, and it's just something that can be fixed in the next few days, then we'll give them a three to five day turnaround. So all of the low level stuff, and we will we'll list the things that we believe are green, on the maintenance policy. Then we've got the ambers. Those are the things that need fixing pretty quickly, but not exceptionally urgent. Then of course, we've got the urgents and the urgents would be security. The urgents would be heating, hot water, electrics, etc. All of those things. Now the, the reds will turn out generally within four hours. We can't do it any quicker than that. And then the ambers will turn out within 24 and then the greens will turn out within three days. But what we do do, 
is we get the tenants to sign to say that they've understood the policy and then they will use the policy in the nature that it's been written. So there's no ambiguity. And if they ever do try to go to court to push us against the wall to say that we haven't given them a policy, it's all there and it's all in writing. So that's what we do. Thank you, Andrew. I wanted to go over to Dave and talk about the essay stuff, but he's, he's, he's got his mic muted at the moment. So we're going to go over to Roxanne and Scott. Do you two do anything differently or is it relatively on the same path? Um, yeah, I think it's it's pretty much on the same path. We uh, we have a WhatsApp group. They report into me. I have a maintenance team, and I pretty much decide um, what hits actually what your three categories are. I don't have that. I think that's a really good set like way of communicating it. Um, but you know, I just decide what is the priority, and definitely, obviously, water and electrics and fire alarm. That's all top priority and that gets turned around very quickly. But the, um, I guess what's interesting is tenants are communicating to me via WhatsApp. And recently I've decided I need to push that through our system, our tenant system, because there is, um, I use GoTenant and you have a way of people reporting through there. And uh, mm. I think that would also help just manage all the queries and separate it from the WhatsApp group. But yeah. definitely the urgent stuff has to come straight to me. I mean, they can call me, they, you know, that I'm, I'm open to getting the WhatsApp message immediately. But the, I think the rest of it could just be filtered through your GoTenant. Thank you, Roxanne. I didn't do this feed today as a plug for GoTenant, but now you've mentioned it. Um, I think that you've got to get your systems right. I'm not a big lover of WhatsApp groups for tenants and landlords collectively, because some people will find that they will just be just pulled into those groups and they'll start to monitor the conversations. And if people start talking about parties and having guests over, it starts to become immersive. And I don't want to be involved in that. So whilst I think it's great to have a WhatsApp group for the tenants, I'm not convinced it's a good thing for the mental health of the landlord um, because you know otherwise it's going to be too controlling so um, you mentioned go tenant so go tenant does have a feature whereby the tenant can report the maintenance on their phone it'll come through to your desktop it will ping on your uh, your dashboard to tell you what the maintenance issue is where it was reported from the ip address it was reported from and it will give you a date stamp as well so you've got a full audit trail there that can help you if you ever do have to prove that you're reacting to the maintenance in the way that you're intended so that's perfect for that now if you've got a maintenance engineer then they can have a separate login access as well and they can log in every day and pick up the jobs so you can be completely removed from that process now here's another little tip for everybody now that i know that i own go tenant that's cool but when i started and uh, i think that one of the biggest things for maintenance call outs certainly as my my business grew was lockouts because all of the old properties we were taking on, and then you know, if you, if you resonate with this and folks in the in the audience, raise your hands. They had Yale locks, right? The old Yale locks were the worst ever invention for anyone that was doing HMOs because with an old Yale lock and a door closer, the tenants were locking themselves out pretty much all day, every day. So it became apparent to me that I needed a system in place. So my very first system was I went to Carphone Warehouse and I purchased the PagerGo mobile phone. I then took on um, somebody who was a maintenance engineer in our area 
and it happened to be a family member, so it was a lot easier for us. And I said, look, if I get my tenants to call this phone, will you hold the phone for me and respond accordingly if I give you a budget for each job? And he said, yeah, perfect. Now, why wouldn't the tenants call me directly on my own phone? And that's quite an easy answer because when you go on holiday or when you go off sick or if you decide to leave, then I'm gonna have to go around and tell the tenants for this period of time, you need to call a different number. So it's a really cheap, folks, anyone that's listening to this that don't have a, a maintenance policy, it's a really cheap policy and extremely effective. So what happens is when the tenant checks in, they were then given the job mobile phone number for all things maintenance. They were requested to call that number only during those periods to report any maintenance, and then the maintenance engineer would go out and deal. Perfect. That meant that it took all of the maintenance calls off us overnight, literally, it just stopped. And all it cost us was a mobile phone that was then on pay as you go, and an hourly rate of whatever we agreed at that time with our maintenance engineer. So what a great policy, really simple. Sometimes we do tend to overcomplicate, don't we? So thank you, Roxanne, thank you, Scott. Mark, I'm gonna skip you if you don't mind on this one. Um, and I'm gonna come over to Anthony. Good morning, happy new year. Happy new year, it's been a while. Um... Yeah, you stole my thunder, actually. I was going to mention the red, amber, green. One of the things we've got is a one-pager um, diagrammatic, which we give to all our tenants, which explains what red is, what amber is, what green is, and so that they don't ring us at five, of, you know, 8 o'clock on a Friday night about, as you say, the light bulb that went three days ago. So, so that's what we do with our buy-to-let type uh, tenants. Um, obviously, on our service department, everything is almost urgent in that even a light gone can cause issues and bad reviews. So we sort of prioritize that a bit more because it's important that you know a guest who's paying a couple of hundred pounds plus a night is having a great experience. What you don't want is as soon as something goes wrong, even a minor thing, sometimes guests will look for everything that they can and take photos of those in order to either get a discount or, or, or bad reviews. But again, and then, and then we tend to use Trello, which we give to our handyman or my lettings manager uses, where we prioritize things. And then what we will try and do, so this is my one tip, is we may have some things to do with a property which are no, not urgent at all, maybe a bit of redecoration. Um, and then what we might do is if we've got a handyman going there for an urgent task, rather than just popping out to change the light bulb, which might be urgent in this particular case, um, and that's all. Oh, thank you, Anthony. I think you just dropped out right at the last minute there. So thank you so much, and you're right. For half a day, is do some of the non-urgent tasks, so making some good use of their time. So that's my sort of bit on it. Thank you, Anthony. Sorry, just dropped out a little bit towards the end there. You touched on the serviced accommodation side of things, and it is a different ball game, isn't it? And you're right. If somebody finds something wrong at a serviced accommodation unit, then they go on the hunt. And they go around then and start trying to find things wrong. So you, they can leave a bad review, as you say. So it is very different. I think the difference is that it's almost immediate. If there's a light bulb gone in the serviced accommodation unit, they want it changing now. You know, they're not going to wait three days. So you're absolutely right. Thank you, Anthony. Nice to have you back up here on the stage yep, today. You're welcome. Thank you. Trish, good morning. Have you got anything you'd like to add to this? Have you got a similar policy? Morning. Yes. Um... In my welcome pack that I think I mentioned when we were talking about mould, um, one of the first pages 
is a full sheet on expectations of behaviour. So it starts with our contact details and then all the different ways they can contact us informs them that they'll be invited into a WhatsApp group where they can report maintenance or look to swap if they're looking to move with um, another tenant because quite a few of my tenants want to stay with me. Um, so, they, so that makes that clear. And then it moves down to um, emergencies. What is an emergency? What isn't an emergency? Um, and what time of day is acceptable to call us in that instance? Then it moves on to lost keys and um, what the process is and what, you know, whether they're likely to be charged or not if they need replacement keys and so on. Um, and, and it is about a page of information, but it makes it completely clear. Um, and since we've done that, the, the eight o'clock on a Sunday even phone calls have completely stopped. It's been really good. Equally, at the end of the welcome pack is a what to do when you're leaving sheet that is also a page long, which has also made it very clear um, on expectations of behaviour. And I think the two combined just set the scene right at the beginning of the tenancy for, for um, how, how we work and how we expect our tenants to work with us. Yeah, and it is about communication, Trish, isn't it? Thank you so much. And all we have to do is just explain what you know this, what the situation is and what the routine is. And generally speaking, the tenants are good. You know, they're intelligent people. They want to be left alone as well, don't they? Okay, that's pretty good. Now, um, I think Scott and Roxanne, you've mentioned your bit. Mark, I don't know if you've got any specific tenancies yourself, or is it this something that you're not really involved with? Um, so I've, I've had experience of it. I don't currently at the moment. And I think the, the bit that I was sort of listening to and, and, and thinking myself was, I think what is evident is, you know, if you are looking to do this at scale, then clearly having a, a very well-defined maintenance policy um, is something that is very much a must. Um, if you are managing this one or two properties, you can probably, well, you can get away. I can speak from experience, obviously. You can get away with um, just offering your phone number and, and being on call out. So uh, that's the that's the observation I would make. Yeah, I think doing it on call out yourself is, is going to become a problem as you scale. But I think that's how everybody starts, isn't it? I remember when I was doing it, I got up to about 55 rooms, 55 tenants, and I was still that person that was doing check-ins and doing checkouts and doing cleans. And, and then it just became the job. So I really needed just to get that very simple system in place. Thank you, Mark. Thank so, you, everybody. So, sorry, Rick, just a very yeah. quick question, um, I guess, uh, for the audience as well is, at what point do you decide that you actually need a system and a policy in place? Where, where was the trigger point for you that you just went, oh, do you know what, I need to sort this out? So I think um, the policy is depicted really by our local housing standards. Just excuse me a second, Mark, I'm going to sneeze. I'm going to have to mute myself. Sorry about that. <laughs> so it's depicted by our local housing standards. So part of our licensing conditions are that we must have some form of maintenance policy. So I was pushed into that anyway. So I had to put that together in order to get the license. The other element was, you know, at what point did I feel that I needed systems? When I got to about 50 rooms, because when I, when I started in property full time, I left the police and came into property and I had a file of facts and a spreadsheet and that was it that was my system i didn't have an electronic calendar i didn't have anything at all that was integrated and i remember this really clearly i was at a rent to rent property that i'd just taken over it was a five-year deal and i was doing everything 
that everyone tells you not to do. I had my children there because it was half term. I had my dogs there and I had um, a cheese sandwich in one hand and a paintbrush in the other. And I was literally decorating this property myself. Now, we were already advertising this house on spareroom.co.uk because we wanted to try and get it out there quickly. And I was taking calls. And I remember that I was, I was painting. The kids were throwing Kentucky Fried Chicken wings at each other. They were screaming. It was just bedlam. And my phone was ringing. And I didn't take the call because it was just too much trouble. Then they would leave a message. And it would generally have been a tenant that was inquiring about the room. Now, there was one of two things that either happened. I either called them back, but it was too late and I missed them. Or I didn't call them back at all because I didn't have a system. And then I realized that I was losing business. And that was the defining moment for me that I decided I needed some kind of system. So from that point, I put the maintenance system in and I also went over to, I used, I'll tell you what I used, this is way before GoTenant. This is one of the reasons I actually put GoTenant together, but I used the system that was called Simply Book Me. And I'm sure that's still out there now. It's like Calendly or, or the, you know, the booking systems. And then what I would do is on Spare Room, when somebody contacted me, I would message back with a link to my calendar so they could just book a viewing whenever they wanted, but it didn't really separate out the dates and the times. And then from there, I created an online form that allowed me to put an application form together that I could send a link to the tenant. So rather than going through the whole waiting for the post process, I developed an online form. And then from there, I developed um, the, the contract that I could put on then was DocuSign. So I created all of this little system. It took me about six months to put it all together and I implemented it into my business. And that was the very first system that I ever used to help me in my business. Now I tell you what happened. Within about 24 hours, my viewings went down by about 50%. And I thought, oh my gosh, I've broken my business. I can't use this. But very quickly, I realized that the viewings that were coming in were actually the viewings that I really wanted and they went on to make really good tenants. Because of the system, it included a pre-qualification form. And I asked the tenants to pre-qualify themselves really first. Now they would either not fill that out if they didn't think they were suitable or um, it came to me and I decided they weren't suitable so I wouldn't even go to the viewing. And that was the basis and the backbone of really what GoTenant is now. So I ran my business with that, Mark, for about, probably about three years, and it revolutionized everything I did. It gave me more time, gave me better quality tenants. It was just perfect for my business. And then I went on to, I did a, a presentation in London, and I was talking at a three-day HMO boot camp in front of about 2,000 people. And I just happened to mention that story and I went to the bar at lunchtime and I was inundated with people saying, what's this system? We need it in our lives. What is it? So I put together a little course and it was called the Tenant Systems Program. And I taught that for about a year and a half, maybe two years. And I taught probably a thousand, maybe more investors on how to use that system that I created. After I did one of these programs, about four or five days later, I received a phone call and it went something like this. Hey, Rick. We came on your systems day. And to be honest with you, we're not really interested. And I was like, all oh, right, well, thanks anyway. They said, but what we are interested in is we are international software developers based in Bulgaria. And we want to have a chat with you to see if we can do something together. And that's how GoTenant was born. And long story short, I went over to Oxford. We had lots and lots of meetings over about six months. 
then we decided to go into business together and code go tenant that was about five years ago so i didn't really anticipate going into that story but that is the whole process reverse engineered from where we are now to where we were right at the very beginning when we really didn't have any systems in place at all mark is a bit of a long answer but did it answer your question yeah absolutely i just think it was highlighting to, to people that you don't necessarily you know, if you've got one property you can get away with the manual side and and it's it's identifying if you want to if you want to scale up you probably need to get as efficient as possible so thanks for that rick no, you're welcome. And anyone, I think the first thing that I can say to anyone listening, whether you're listening on the podcast, whether you're listening here now live on Clubhouse, the first thing that I ever do and I still do now when it comes to systems is get a key safe. I know that there's a, a you know, there's a, an audience that will say, oh, you can break into key safes and you can go into YouTube and hack them and do that. Yes, you can, but you can also go and kick the back door in probably a lot easier than breaking into a key safe. So everyone get a key safe, make sure it's a police approved one, stick it outside, put a couple inside as well. So at least then if your tenant locks yourself out, all you have to do is give them the code over the phone once you've confirmed their identity. And then next time you're at the property, you can go back, you can scramble the code up. It is the very best tip I could give you. It will stop so many call outs. It really will. Scott, did you want to come in or are you just agreeing with that? Just agreeing with that. It's awesome. Great point, yeah. Rick. It's just so easy. And I know, you know, every time I talk about key safes, I get that, oh, Google this and, and go in and look on YouTube because you can get into a key safe within 10 minutes. Yes, but the fact is burglary is burglary. It doesn't matter how you get into the property, well, effectively for the offense it does, but it doesn't matter how you get in. If somebody wants to go and break into a property, then they've got that mens rea anyway. They've got that guilty mindset anyway. How they facilitate the break-in is irrelevant. So if you're of that ilk, you know, they're going to break in anyway, whether they smash the back door. In. And to be quite honest with you, it's probably a lot easier in some cases to go in and boot the back door in some of these houses. So don't worry about that, folks, but do make sure that you tell your insurance company if you've got a key safe, just to make sure they're aware. OK, we're going to refresh the room. It's 9.08. Let's pull to refresh if that's still a thing. So we've had 144 people in the room today. It's been a quiet one, but a really good topic again. So if you are new here, we are the Property Club. Uh, Sam and I and the mods as well, Toyin and who else? Mark is here today, the, the grandfather mods. We did a room last season and we said that we're going to do this in season so we're back now we're back for january we're going to be here for a little while we're going to be here on a monday on a wednesday and on a friday and our room is about giving you the latest news and bringing it to debate i know there might be some crossover that's cool but we try and keep it a little bit interactive and a little bit debatable so we can bring the latest stuff to you so it's not a q a more of a debate if you'd like to come up onto the stage raise your hand come up you can join in with the topic. Now, I've got a bit of a controversial report next, folks, okay? I did this this morning on my Facebook News Live, and I went into a little bit of a rant. Now, we spoke last week, didn't we, about the prejudice of the word landlord, and we discussed it quite well, and it was a really good topical debate on why we thought that that word came with a lot of connotations, mainly negative. There's a report this morning that has come from uh, the House of Lords, and it says this. Now, what I'd love to do, once I've read the report, I want to go around the room. We'll start with Sam. We'll go in the order of my screen. What are your feelings on this? And is it any wonder private landlords get a bad reputation? A House of Lords report claims that private rental sector has become 
increasingly unaffordable and says that it outwelcomes the proliferation of build-to-rent purposes for built lettings and apartments. The report called Meeting Housing Demand, and it was released this week, says that in 2019-2020, the private rental sector accounted for 4.4 million or 19% of households in England. Pause. So when people come back and say, private landlords gobbling up all the housing stock. No, we only equate for 19% of the total households in England. So that's point one. As of the report, private renters had on average lived in their accommodation for 4.3 years, which is considerably shorter than for social renters, which equates to 12.2 years, and owner occupiers which equates to 17.4 years. The report says that in 1980, the average working age family renting private spent 12% of its income on its housing. Today, it spends almost three times this proportion. It also quotes an independent housing policy consultant saying, the private rental sector is by far the most expensive, by far the lowest quality, and by far the least popular. It's absolutely the worst possible tenure for almost everyone in it. He adds that most people who are private renting would much rather be in something cheaper and higher quality. Well, yeah, I would like to have a cheaper mortgage in a bigger house. I would like to have cheaper car payments and a nicer car. That's just the most insane statement that I think I've heard this year. They would then went on to say that this means either social renting or owner occupation. It is absolutely the tenure of last resort. The report goes on to say those living in the private sector are more likely to live in poor quality, overcrowded conditions than owner occupiers and often have limited forms of redress. Many tenants who would previously have been in social housing are now living in expensive private rented accommodation with their rents subsidized by housing benefit. Now the report continues to go on to damn social landlords and to damn private landlords. But I had a big rant on this this morning because I completely 100% disagree with everything that this report contains. And I would like to know where their snapshot uh, was taken for their survey, because if I went out and asked a similar question to my community of over 250,000 followers through all of my social medias, and the people that are offering best practice for the people like everyone in this room, for those professional landlords that really want to make a difference, we would have very, very different results. Now, some of our, our, our latest HMOs, the light boutique Airbnbs, we provide televisions, we pay for the license, we provide Netflix, we pay for Netflix, we provide cleaners, you know, they are at the very highest level. So this type of report that's just been released this morning doesn't do private landlords any favours whatsoever. That's my little mini rant. Sam, going to come to you first. What are your thoughts, if you've got any? Oh, well, um, I think 
I'm probably going to say something now that's going to be very um, controversial in a moment. I'll come to that in a second. Um, firstly, I, I, I'm with you. I disagree. Fundamentally, um, it's a snapshot of a sector of the industry. And let's be realistic about it. None of us um, are complete ideal, idealists. We are all aware there's a lot of low quality rental accommodation out there. Everybody here, I would imagine, certainly the people that I'm connected with on social media, the people that I know, um, are in the business of improving the quality of rental accommodation, improving the quantity of rental accommodation. Um, we have people on the stage that are creating brand new units. We have people on stage that are converting existing properties to high quality rental accommodation. Um, so I, you know, the reality is, is that um, I don't think it's an absolutely accurate snapshot. It's certainly not an accurate snapshot of the people within my spheres in property. Um, it's not, it's not, Sam, it's not an accurate snapshot, but the problem is it's got airtime. And because it's come from the House of Lords, it's all over the press this morning. People are going to read it and, you know, people believe what they read, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And look, there's, I mean, there's, there's two things. I'll take you guys back to when I did my maths GCSE. There's a poster on the wall, and I always talk about this with, uh, with Rick and Lorraine, that there's a poster on the wall maths teacher had, and it said that, Figures don't lie, but liars can figure. And often we see statistics that are manipulated to give a incorrect impersonation, uh, impersonation of what the data represents. The other side of it is that this brings me back to what we were talking about with um, house movers and the, the change in rules around vaccination status, is that this kind of news is great. It's, 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 it's really exciting. It's an interesting news. So it sells papers and gets people to watch the news. Um, but it's divisive politics. And again, all the landlords I speak to are, are all about creating better connections with their tenants, better communication with their tenants. Not about having a them versus us mentality, but about having one of collaboration. Those that I've seen successful in property generally have this in every element of their business. So I've got a big issue with the overall data. And then the thing I'm going to say is a little bit controversial. Um, you're not comparing apples with apples when you go back to the 70s and then you come forward to 2022 to compare data, or 2021 to compare data. Um, yes, the percentage of income, um, people always share this you know, on Facebook and say, oh, well, you used to be able to you know, buy or rent a house with 12% of your income, now it's like 40%. Um, that's true, but also bear in mind the barriers to entry for the workplace, the lack of support in terms of maternity leave and for women in the workplace. Now we are a society that has much better diversity in our workplace, and that's a good thing. Um, but yes, the trade of fears is that now people are giving over larger portions of their income. Um, and, you know, it, the, it's the nature of a capitalist kind of model is that the more money that comes into a system, the more an economy grows. Ultimately, you know, again, the controversial statement, I suppose, but ultimately money flows from labor to capital um, in all businesses, in all, in all industries. And part of the reason it does is because of where risk is assigned. Um, the reality is the risk of being a landlord in 1970, when you're paying 12% of your income towards rent, is a completely different profile of risk versus doing it in 2022, when you look at what's happening in terms of legislation, regulation and downside, taxation as well, of course. So I think we need to be mindful of that. It's a, it's a really, it's a facile argument and I mm. think it's easy, it's easy to compare apples with elephants, but we need to compare apples with apples. We do. And that's why I, I had such a rant with that this morning. I had to stop reading it because, you know, it's got credence. It's come from the House of Lords. It, it, it's going to be read. It's going to be up there. It's going to be all over the press. Another nail in the coffin for the private landlord. What does anybody else think about this? Who would like to come in? Toyin, 
I think it's a case. It's unfortunate that this has got um, airtime, and and I, I suppose like in the press, and when it's 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 bad news that I, it spreads a lot um, more. Uh, of course, private rental um, um, accommodation is going to be more expensive with all the new tax laws coming in. Of um, let's not get mistaken. As much as um, private landlords are looking to obviously just um, um, provide accommodation, it is is a business for them, and they're obviously not going to be doing this if it's not going to make them profits. We've just been talking about maintenance and to to, to to maintain the high standards that we all want for our properties it means that we need to be able to make sure that we are getting paid for it so it, it's unfortunate that we, we, it's been seen from that angle as against that them fact that private landlords are actually helping towards the um to, to, to towards the house also needs and 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 get actually investing their funds in by in, in building property especially building to rent i think that this 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 can actually be looked at on different angles goes really um in, in terms of the tenants from from the tenant perspective and as well as from the landlord i am i i i, I, I wish that we had more um the, the property redress schemes and, and and different tenants um um sorry landlord associations would have been more compulsory for landlords so we can have a better across board um quality provided um, and, and stop the bad name being given to private landlords but having said that i think uh, it's, it's just it's, it's just really um unfair to landlords that um we, we get this we get this every time from different angles because all most landlords are trying to do is provide good accommodation but we, we, we've constantly been um 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 Amount from different um, angles, um, either with the tax or or, or with the the fact that you 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 have an a not paying for months and months, and you can't really get them out of the properties, and it's just constantly one thing after another and, mm. and after the other, and you just think, how do you get out of this and and yet continue doing your business? Because let's not be mistaken, I'm doing this as much as every other benefit that I get from it. I'm doing this because it is it's a business. This is what pays for my livelihood, and and that is as long as that remains, I'm going to actually look after myself. Sure, yeah, you have to treat it as a business. We have to. Thank you, Toyin. Anybody else like to come on that? A little bit of a uh, rant for me this morning. No, flashing lights. Yes, we have. We've got Roxanne wants to come in and Mark as well. So go to Roxanne first, and over to Mark. Yeah, thanks. So what I don't understand is when they put things like this in the uh, the press and they. They say that you know, uh, you know, the millennials at the time when it was talking about just couldn't afford to live uh, the prices of London, and they they had to live further afield. And I just think seriously, when I was that age, of course I couldn't afford, you know, a two bedroom house in London. No one can. You need to kind of build up to that, um, career wise and income wise and stuff. And I, I just I don't understand why the press or the media think that that's a reasonable argument uh, that people should be able to afford because, because it sells papers Roxanne I know it's just so frustrating to hear um and I totally agree of course as as you I'd like to have a bigger house for less money yes everyone would that's, that's what a ridiculous statement though you know but I mean even putting that in there tenants would like to have a bigger property for less rent well of course they would this comment <laughs> this is coming from the house of lords uh, we need to infiltrate thank you Roxanne Mark over to you sir yeah just um uh, reading the, the uh, sorry reading listening to the the document I think he feels as though there's a bit of deflection of their own shortcomings. So the, I think the private uh, rental sector is quite an easy target. 
um, and they're just building upon that stigma of the word landlord that we spoke about the other day. Um, so I think you know they, their inability to keep up with their own housing targets, um, building and, and, and whatnot. I think um, this this sort of deflects away from that. And also, you know, we've got all the other um, things that are going on in Parliament at the moment about the, the controversy, and this is something else I think that ultimately will deflect from uh, from what is the main issue going on in the world at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, well. will it deflect? I don't know. I mean, they're under pressure, but certainly it might be a little bit of a curveball. Thank you, Mark. Scott? Yes, Rick. I, I'm with you on the on the rant. I could feel it when you were saying it and uh, heard you earlier this morning as well. Rox had, had you on. And, um, you know, there, there are a number of things that you could look at. They've put they've put this at the bottom. Well, isn't isn't the bottom being homeless on a street? or living in a refugee camp. And, you know, <laughs> when you put the worst thing at the bottom, of course, that's the part you attack is the, the bottom of the pile. And, um, and so they haven't really explored all of the accommodation or all the ways you could end up living. And I think the other thing is this sort of sample size of one, you get, you get one, you hear from a friend, one bad, bad landlord, and they have a terrible place. And then you stick that in your head and you use that as your sample size of one that then you roll out to everything and, and broad brush everything. And it's, it's a common thing. People do it all the time. And unfortunately, the intent of whoever wrote this, whoever writes these documents, they always have an intent. And the intent was to make the residential landlords look bad. And it gets votes and it sells newspapers, as you said. And unfortunately, we have to weather that storm. I was a banker during the global financial crisis and bankers were battered completely as being the bad guys. And you just have to look at it and say, look, when you're a landlord or a property investor, if you feel confident that you're putting out a good product, you're giving people a good place to live, you're fixing things within a reasonable amount of time, you're giving them a great option at a fair price, then that's what you have to live with. And just ignore all this, uh, all the news, because they're there to sell papers, they're there to make it hype and crazy, and it doesn't make sense, regardless of what the issue, it could be property today, bankers the next day, could be climate change or whatever it is, they always take the extreme because it creates emotion and it gets people talking. Yeah. And that's, and, and exactly, that's what we have to live that's with. That's exactly what we're doing right here. We're giving them airtime. <laughs> but it does, right. <laughs> it does create a good debate, doesn't it? I yeah. think, you know, we've got to stand there. I think maybe a, a topic for one of the rooms next week, when we talk a lot about um, acquiescence, and for those that don't understand what that means, it's, you know, allowing people to talk about you. We talk about social media things quite a lot, don't we? We talk about trolling and haters, etc., and critics, and just not biting and just allowing that to happen. I've kind of got a little bit of a different stance on that. And I do believe that if you stand there, and if you allow people to throw stones, then they're going to continue to do so. I think sometimes you do have to stand up and sometimes you do have to push back. 
just my personal point of view. I'm not saying to everyone in the audience that you should get in, you know, engage in troll messages and hate messages. That's not my point. But when it comes to the point where if you continue to allow it to happen, then it will always happen. So anyway, those are my thoughts. We're going to welcome Ricky back to the stage. Ricky Marley is in the house. Ricky, good morning, sir. <laughs> good morning, Rick. Good morning, Sam. Good morning to everyone else. Um, by the way, it's good to have you back, Rick. I did, I did miss you. That's for definite. You. Not Definitely just me, but everybody else, right? This is a collective show. So thank you so much. It's great yeah. to be back. I don't know if you sort of picked up on the back of the conversation. Don't expect you to come in now, but wanted just to welcome you back. Uh, nice to see you on here. We're trying to get as many of the old mods back as we can. I know that commitments have changed and there are new rooms and, and what have you, but nice to have a choice. People can room hop now. We are trying to be a little bit different here in the property newsroom. And we're going to go down the same format, Ricky, as we did before. So nice to have you here. We're doing Mondays. We're doing Wednesdays and we're doing Fridays. Right, so what are we going to finish on today? Friday, I've got something special for you all. Now, as a member of the property club, um, Sam and I used to give away loads of freebies just to say thank you for being part of the property club and from being part of the, the stage and the speakers. So I've got nothing for you today specifically, but Friday, I've got some giveaways for you. So I've got some books on Friday that I'm going to give away. So if you fancy getting hold of a free book and um, no strings attached at all, there's no sale or anything, it's just a book, just to thank you for being part of the room, then head over here on Friday and I'll tell you how you can get hold of that. So finally today in the last report, I just wanted to give you a little bit of an insight to the coastal towns and the coastal villages that have had the biggest price growth this year. So Britain's long stretches of coastline and sandy beaches have really captured the imagination of home buyers in the past year and a trend that looks well set to continue in 2022. Some of the most popular coastal areas have seen a big jump in average asking prices, especially in the West Country, with several towns and villages in Devon and Cornwall seeing the biggest price growth in the last 12 months. Now, the big coastal winner of 2021 was indeed Padstow in Cornwall, but the beautiful beaches of North Yorkshire, Wales and Lincolnshire have also provided and shown that they hold irresistible allure to buyers looking for a completely new way of life. So I'm going to look at the top 10 areas which saw the biggest asking price growth in the last 12 months. So we're going to start with number 10. We've got Preston, which is Paynton in Devon. Average asking price now of £303,684. Annual asking price increase, 12%. Number nine, we've got Brixham in Devon. Average asking price of 299000 and an increase of 12%. Number eight on the list is Pefeli in Gwynedd. And that's an average asking price of 222,000 with a 13% increase. Number seven is Philly in North Yorkshire, average asking price of 214,000. Then we've got number six is Newquay in Cornwall, average asking price of 317,000 pounds with an increase of 13%. Number five is Mablethorpe in Lincolnshire. The average asking price is 173,000 with an increase over the last 12 months of 13%. Then we've got Porthcawl at number four, which is in South Glamorgan. 
with an average asking price of £307,000 and an increase of 14%. Number three on the list is St Ives in Cornwall. Now we're shooting up the asking prices now to £473,000, but the increase has gone up by 15%. Number two is Whitby in North Yorkshire with an average asking price of £254,000 and an increase of 17%. Now, the one that has topped the list is Padstow in Cornwall that comes in at number one with an average asking price of a whopping £658,588. The annual asking price increase of 20% because Padstow in Cornwall has topped the list of coastal asking price hotspots the famous place for a foodie town and fishing village is massively popular with holidaymakers as well as second home buyers and home movers looking to make a lifestyle change. Huge levels of demand, which has pushed average asking prices up. Despite the high asking prices, it's easy to see why this incredibly pretty place is sought after with its quaint tangle of streets, picturesque harbour and idyllic walks along the southwest coast path. So now you're up to date, folks. That's your property newsroom. We are Property Club. Don't forget to follow everyone on the stage. Don't forget to click on the Property Club and join us. We'll be back here with some giveaways on Friday, the same time at 8.30. We're bang on 9.30. You can't fault us for time. Don't forget, no matter what you do today, have some fun. Take care. Have a great day. See you Friday. Thank you, everyone.